Welcome to Lobster Brain, the podcast that shows you that you can rewire your brain through neuroplasticity. We know about that from studying lobsters. When lobsters fight, their brains change, so both winner and loser can cope with their change in status. As humans, our brains can be rewired too. But unlike lobsters, if we lose, we can still win again in the future. In this podcast, you'll hear from highly successful people, or as we'll be calling them, top lobsters, to discover that with the right mindset, you can bounce back from tough times to be more resilient and win again. I'm Danny Donerkey. And I'm Lisa Morton. And in this episode of Lobster Brain, you're going to hear from Sadhguru. Sadhguru is one of our most prominent spiritual voices. He grew up in a small village in India. He's a yogi, mystic, visionary and poet. He's got millions of followers worldwide and over 2 billion people have gone through his yoga programs. So we need to explain where Sadhguru is coming from when it comes to how he wants us to approach life. So tell me a bit about that. Yeah, I think he was quite provocative in in this interview, Lisa, uh, because he's got a very strong message that he wants our listeners to hear. And his approach to life really is that we are all fully capable of being blissful every moment of our lives. And he wants the whole world to have access to inner joy and bliss. Amazing. What do you mean by blissful, Danny? Uh, (laughs) Good question. Hmm? Basically, I think uh, for our listeners, Sadhguru, uh, about 30 years ago, he was uh, he was meditating and then this something from inside him happened and he tasted bliss. And the way that that happened was he, he meditated and he looked within, within himself and bliss was in, inside. So I think it's hard to describe exactly what bliss is unless you've experienced it. But what he's saying is that we are all capable of a state that is untouched by the outside world. I can't wait for you to hear more about this. And just to give you a little taste of what that's about, let's have a listen to this clip. How is your life happening within you? There is no attention. Without attention, no door in this universe will ever open for you. It's as simple as that. If you pay enough attention, if the keenness of your attention is strong enough, intense enough, then every door in the universe has to open. I know that Sadhguru is hugely important to you in your life, Danny. What does he mean to you? Well, he's the only person, Lisa, that I've met in in my life that has been a living example of somebody who appears from the outside to be completely blissful. And he grew up in a small village in India, and now, as we've said, he's got millions and millions of followers worldwide. So he's, he's an inspiration and he, he inspires me to want to be blissful in, in my life and, and pass that message on to other people. So Danny, you've got to tell the story about when Sadhguru came to Everton. What happened? Yeah, so I'd met him the day before, Lisa, and I just knew I had to meet him again. And luckily he was a big football fan. So I invited him to speak to the team and I was so nervous because it was all on me. And David Moyes had said that he didn't want somebody that was like the Dalai Lama. And in my mind, I knew that he was 10 times worse. And he was coming in in all <laughs> his gowns and his, his Indian sandals. And he came and he, he, he was out on the training pitch, kicking the ball around with all these Premier League players. And that night, 
he spoke to the team at the team hotel and you can imagine a group of Premier League footballers, they can be quite boisterous and loud and I've never seen them so peaceful. It was one of the most miraculous things I've ever seen, you know, that this group of men were in this peaceful, quiet state. And the next day we won the game against Liverpool 2-0, which was the only time in about 10 years that we beat them. And after the game, all of these Premier League footballers were singing Sadhguru. <laughs> I love that story, Danny. It makes me laugh every time you tell it to me. And you're going to hear this interview in full now, so you can really hear what the experience of being with Sadhguru is like. And then you'll hear our thoughts and takeaways at the end. So let's get to Sadhguru now. When I first brought him into Everton, as I said, I've never seen a group of players be so chilled. And I wanted to find out how did he do that? How do I do that or how do they do it? <laughs> what is the question? <laughs> now, uh, you know, people who are playing a game, they're doing something that they love to do and after all, it's a sport. If they can't chill, there must be something fundamentally wrong, okay? What about the <laughs> man who is digging in the coal mine? <laughs> if guys are playing football, <laughs> what they love to do? If that is a lot of tension and stress, I don't... I think they shouldn't play, if you ask me. <laughs> Why should they play a game if it's so stressful to them? <laughs> a sport or a game essentially means that, you know, you're doing something that you love to do and it's fun to do. And you're suffering that, uh, well... <laughs> Isn't it pathetic that people are suffering what they love to do in their life. So how do I do that? I don't do anything, I just exude life. Everybody has become more of... Uh, because you're a physio... Uh, physiological processes, and the rest are all psychological processes. Their silly thoughts and emotions rule their life. There is a phenomenon of life, which was not made by us, we are here because of it. And uh, what we think and what we feel are our own little drama. And you are such a bad director of your drama, that even if you're playing football, you suffer <laughs> So, all you need to do is be more of life and less of the madness of the mind. <laughs> You're given too much importance to your own thought and emotion that uh, even if you're doing what... Uh, even a child loves to kick a ball, uh, <laughs> even in that, you suffer. So if a football player is suffering, everybody else, uh, of course, uh, have fundamental right to suffer. <laughs> Except me, I don't suffer because I don't think it's the right. I think it's human right to be blissful and I think it's human responsibility to be blissful because who you are and what you are is what you create and what you spread around you. And uh, if you have COVID, they told you you must wear a mask and stay home. That's because you don't have no right to give it to anybody. So if you're miserable, you must do the same thing. You must wear a full mask of a smiley mask and simply stay home. <laughs> you shouldn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Sadhguru, I've just come back from a conference, a business conference, and it was fa it was an amazing experience. 
and I met lots of people that I haven't seen for a long time. And the one thing that struck me was that when we were all asking each other how we were, pretty much the uniform response was, with a smile, I'm so busy, I'm working so hard, we're flat out. And it just struck me that it was like a badge of honor almost to say how busy and how hard you're working. And on one of your podcasts, I've heard you talk about that we shouldn't label ourselves. We shouldn't be talking about working hard. We should talk about being blissful in our work. So I wondered if you could explain more about that to our listeners. You shouldn't be talking about your blissfulness. You should be blissful. If you talk about blissfulness and you're miserable, <laughs> then what's the point? <laughs> A whole lot of people. <laughs> In the name of religion, philosophy, ideology, they're talking about great things, but nothing great happening within themselves. Uh, that's <laughs> not the way to be. So I'm saying, if your work is so hard, why are you doing it? So someone came to me a few years ago, he is uh, worth a few billion dollars, and uh, he had lost uh, some part of it, maybe about forty to sixty percent of it he had lost in the stock market. And he came to me in a utterly miserable condition. And uh, I asked him, what's the problem? He said, Sadhguru, this job I'm doing, uh, you know, it's so stressful. Every day they keep setting new targets and new things. I'm just falling apart. And uh, my children hate me, my wife wants to leave me, and even my dog doesn't come near me anymore. <laughs> All this. I said, uh, then I raised my hands and said, may you be fired. He said, Sadhguru, Sadhguru, don't do that, why? Why you want me to be fired? I said, hey, you're so miserable doing this job. If you vacate the place, maybe somebody next will do it a little more joyfully than you are. At least walk the beach. Anyway, you, you, you're not going to starve, you have enough money. You're not going to starve, you walk the beach and be happy. <laughs> because you, in your silly purposes that you set, your Forgetting the purpose of life, when I say the purpose of life, not uh, some imagined God-given purposes that people create for themselves. Essentially, every life, whether it's a bird, insect, worm or a human being, wants to be exuberant life and full-fledged life. Every life is aspiring to be full-fledged life. You constipate yourself in the body and in the head and then everything is hard. <laughs> Everything is hard when you're constipated <laughs> Mentally constipated, you know, mentally, emotionally, seriously constipated, everything seems to be hard. You just see school children are complaining of going to school is stress. What the hell are you doing in school? Somebody feeds you, somebody dresses you up, somebody sends you to the school. You have to just bum around and come back home, all right? <laughs> This and that they will tell you, if it's interesting, you pick it up, if it is not, you don't. But school is stressful, college is stressful, finding a job is stressful, if you find a job, it's even more stressful, marriage is stressful, children are stressful. I think the only thing that is left is death, and even that is stressful. <laughs> so stress is not because of the life that you're living. Stress is because you have no clue how to manage your body, your thought and emotion, your chemistry, your energies, how to manage this, you have no clue. 
So everything is stressful. Let me tell you, uh, you okay for a joke? Yeah. Danny looking so serious, I'm even afraid to tell him a joke <laughs> <laughs> This happened, a young lady went to a doctor and the doctor asked, what's the problem? She said, doctor, every part of my body is hurting. Really? Just show me where is it hurting? So she took her forefinger and touched her shoulder, oh! and she touched her knee, ha, oh! and touched this one, that one, and ha, oh! ha. Oh! Then the doctor looked at her and he said, come here, and he put a plaster around her forefinger and gave a painkiller and sent her home, because the problem was the finger is broken. <laughs> Everything that you touch, it hurts. Right now, you keep yourself in such a way, no matter what you do, you suffer. <laughs> Sadhguru, how, how can people get out of this trap of suffering? There is no trap of suffering. Where is the trap? Who set the trap for you? It's here. Nobody has set the... <laughs> Married people are thinking their husbands are setting the trap or their wives are setting the trap. Those who have children are thinking their children are setting the trap. Those who have a boss are thinking their boss is setting a trap. Those who don't have any boss and no job, they're thinking the whole world is setting a trap for them. Otherwise, people who are religious kind of thinking, God is setting a trap for them and testing them every day. <laughs> this is a endless uh, complaint about life, nobody has set a trap for you. Who set a trap for you? It's a great phenomena. If you learn to ride it, it's fantastic. If you don't ride it, the same wheels of life will crush you. That's how it is. No matter who you are, how you have come, what level of intelligence, what kind of physical strength, it doesn't matter what you have. Every human being is capable of living peacefully and joyfully. Other things that you achieve in life, that may be, you know, individual capabilities. Not everybody has the same capabilities. And uh, it is also a question of times in which we live and uh, geographically where we live what possibilities open, what possibilities do not open, that's another aspect. But whether you're in the remote part of Africa or should I say London, or it's not possible in London, or in London, or wherever, it's possible that you can live peacefully and joyfully because this got nothing to do with the outside, it's the way you keep yourself. So you should do some inner engineering. If you're not engineered well, everything is friction. If you're well engineered, everything runs smoothly. And what is that engineering? How, how do we do that? Oh, <laughs> if you're willing to dedicate at least... If anybody thinks their worth is... their life is worth at least thirty-two hours of focused attempt to transform themselves, then we can help. But now everybody asks, Sadhguru, can you give me a few tips how I can transform my life? To learn twenty-six alphabets of your language, the English language, you took years to make words, to make sentences. Still, most people can't make sentences properly after they're thirty-five, forty <laughs> I'm saying. So, it took so long for you to just learn an alphabet, but to transform your life, you want to do it in thirty seconds. No at least thirty to thirty-two hours of focused time, if you're willing to give, 
there are simple technologies with which we can produce, you know, well-established, measurable results, no question about it. But one must have that interest in their own life. They think their life is controlled by something else. Some are looking at stars, some are looking at heaven, some are looking at each other, some are looking at somebody else as the source of everything. No, you must understand the source of your well-being and the source of your suffering is within you. If you see that much, we can help with simple methods to change the very chemistry of who you are. Everybody today with modern medicine and everything around, you understand that what you call as peace or joy or misery or stress or tension or whatever you want to call it, everything has a chemical, chemical basis. Now I'm talking about a simple technology with which you can change your internal chemistry. This is the most sophisticated chemical factory on the planet, human mechanism. Now the question is only, are you a great manager of things or are you a lousy manager? That's all there is. Sadhguru, before your experience on Chamundi Hill where you became enlightened, had you experienced stress and anxiety and things like that or not? What makes you think everybody was stressful and anxious? <laughs> <laughs> no, I was not. <laughs> I was not stressful or anxious even before, because one important thing is people are not paying attention to life and life process, either within themselves or even around themselves. They are only paying attention to their psychological process or the social media process today, what somebody is saying, what somebody is doing. This is all the whole engagement is, how is your life happening within you? There is no attention. Without attention, no door in this universe will ever open for you. It's as simple as that. If you pay enough attention, if the keenness of your attention is strong enough, intense enough, then every door in the universe has to open, there is no other way. Unfortunately, your education systems, I see Danny has so many books behind him, <laughs> reading all those books. <laughs> Some of them are yours. <laughs> messes you up. <laughs> <Huh>? Some of them <laughs> are yours. Mine also. <laughs> Mine also. They're only for inspiration, not for <laughs> other aspects. So, right now, our education system is like this. We have given more significance to human memory than to human attention. You get good marks in school only if you remember some nonsense that you read, not because you paid attention to something. So, entire society is structured around memory being more important than attention. This is a fundamental flaw. Once you have done this, you will drive everybody towards some kind of mental distress. Right now it is stress, it will become distress shortly, everybody is predicting there is going to be a mental health pandemic, it's not far away. It is manifesting where I am right now in the United States. It's manifesting in a massive way in the most affluent society in the world. Mental health is a serious, serious challenge. Why? Simply because you're doing everything wrong. Everything wrong about yourself. Starting, I'm just taking one slot of it, education. Education is an extruding machine which wants to produce certain products. Human beings are not products, they are possibilities. If you don't have the patience and the love to nurture it, to cultivate it, 
either your own life or another life. If you don't have that, well, you will come up with these things because it is... it is not a nut and a bolt that you can manufacture in a factory. It is something that you have to grow. See, uh, one simple way of uh, setting up some kind of benchmark for yourself is, whatever you think, whatever you say, if you had said this thousand years ago, would it be relevant? Or if you say it after thousand years, will it still be relevant? Just set this context for yourself. If you don't know... if you don't have any other tool within you to measure where you're going, just this much, because what is relevant to life will always be relevant. What is psychologically relevant, what was relevant for you when you were twelve is not relevant when you're eighteen, what is relevant when you're eighteen is not relevant when you're thirty-six, like this. In your own life, things that you thought are most important at one time are no more important. So, you keep those things aside. I'm not saying you have to get rid of them. Keep those things aside. Look at those things which will always be relevant to you. And even if you come back after thousand years, it'll be still relevant. Like for example, you're breathing, I hope. <laughs> Danny, you're frozen <laughs> If you're breathing, Will it be relevant after thousand years? Well, somebody says it won't be relevant because we will uh, give you an uh, oxygen inoculation, after that you don't have to breathe. Well, all the best for them. You're breathing, your heart is beating, right now the system is functioning in a certain way, you're peaceful, you're joyful. This is going to be relevant always. No matter today, thousand years ago, thousand years later, always it's going to be relevant make... establish those things. Rest of the play, you can play as you're capable of playing. Football is very important, even I was there at the World Cup, but we can even live without football. Maybe after thousand years, nobody will play football. Who knows? <laughs> I doubt it. Hope they do <laughs> Sadhguru, a lot... a lot of people over here, they... They lead very busy lives and it feels kind of unmanageable at times. And and I always think about you because your life is so full and so busy and yet you still have this incredible energy and appetite for life. What advice, what tips can you give? Hey, no, I people? don't have appetite for life. Let me correct this. I have no appetite for life. I'm not eating life. I am life. <laughs> Hello? Who are you? <laughs> what is this appetite for life? Is appetite bread? I mean, is life bread? <laughs> <laughs> it's not something that you have to consume. Life is not something that you consume. You are life, you have to reverberate with life, that's all. You're trying to consume life, and then if you... if your neighbor is consuming more, you think you're having a FOMO, <laughs> fear of missing out. <laughs> and this fear of missing out is driving everybody nuts. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that because so many people are diverted from themselves by comparing themselves to what the neighbor's doing or what's happening on social media, comparing their physical attractiveness or their financial well-being to somebody else. So how can we encourage that removing the energy from other people into what, what's right for us? See, uh, first of all, we must understand this. This problem is not of your times. This problem has always been, even if you are a cave woman, is there such a term? 
Only men were in the caves. Where were the ladies at that time? I don't know. <laughs> Not doing the work. <laughs> <laughs> so, when you were a cave woman also, if your neighbor had a little better cave, uh, you kind of had your problems, all right? So, I'm saying this is your anxiety, your fear, your jealousy, your envy, your uh, anger and hatred, or love and joy and bliss are not of today. Always human beings have had those things. There were some people who are suffering negative things, there were some people who are going through life in a positive manner. So I am saying it is a question of your choice. Why are you choosing that? And everybody wants to say it is because of social media I am jealous. No, if there was just one neighbor in the neighborhood, you would still be jealous. If there was nobody, you would die of loneliness, all right? If there's no neighbor, you'll die of loneliness. If they are there, you'll die of jealousy. So I'm saying, right now, social media has given you at least a choice of million neighbors. So you can choose whom to interact and not. When you were just living in a neighborhood, you had no choice. They were right next to you. They were the only choice. You have a lot of choice today, so it should not be a problem. But you're making that also into a problem. More choices should be problem or solution, tell me. Solution. solution. It should be a solution, but we're yeah. making a big problem out of it. Yeah, it's abundance, isn't it? And we're making that a kind of thing of scarcity. We like scarcity for others, I mean. <laughs> this is the problem. <laughs> Sadhguru, so many people around the world look up to you. And like, what, what can you say to them about how how they can find what you found for themselves and not see you as something other than human? Oh, is somebody seeing me as some other creature? A lot of people, I yeah. I think so. <laughs> 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 Your friends, Danny. <laughs> You're like a god. <laughs> <laughs> see, uh, first of all, this whole thing about creating a god somewhere up there is a serious mistake simplistic, childish answer to creation. Whenever we don't have an answer for something, we point up. But, uh, I know you're in England, but uh, do you also believe because uh, the planet is round? It is, and it is spinning. So, if you look up, you're always looking up in the wrong direction, you're not even a North Pole, all right? <laughs> so. If uh, those in Australia who are also English people at one time, if they want to look up, they look up like this, is it? <laughs> I'm asking, do you know which is up and which is down in this universe? No. Is somewhere, is it written in this cosmos, this side up? So where is that up? When you don't know which is up and which is down, how come you know who is up and who is down? So I'm saying these are childish solutions for a phenomenal life that's been bestowed upon us. It's just the biggest problem is human beings have come to this treacherous, uh, what to say, <laughs> uh, tyranny within themselves that they cannot admit they don't know. Everything they know, everything that they know, know they, they don't know, they'll make it up and believe it and they know. Why can't you say you don't know? With all the scientific exploration, the fact is, we do not even know a single atom in its entirety. This is a fact. Then how come you know the cosmos? 
you know the whole creation and who made it in how many days, everything you know. So this is the problem. It's time to sh shed those uh, childish ways of looking at life and see that we are here on this small, tiny mud ball of a planet spinning around and traveling. If you don't... you know how... how fast it's traveling? It's traveling at a speed of something like 1680 kilometers per hour. Do you feel that? <laughs> you don't feel it? No. But it's traveling at that speed around the sun. I'm saying this tiny mud ball, on this we are sitting, and now you're another part of the world, uh, <laughs> probably three thousand, four thousand kilometers away. I'm sitting here, we're talking to each other, and we're miserable. Oh, great! <laughs> and we don't know where this mud ball will crash, how it will go, it'll spin out of control, what the hell will happen, you don't know nothing, all right? <laughs> but you know who made this, how he made it, in how many days he made it, everything works. Stop this, it's time to mature. Those childish things must go. It's time to see that we don't even know the basic building block of this existence, which is atom. That also we don't know. We don't know, we know how to use things, but we don't know what they really are. So when this is the case, if you just admit, admit you do not know, you will become super attentive to life. Right now, you're trying to run your life with accumulated memory. If you read ten books, you become a professor. If you read one book, you become an agent of God. If you read nothing, you become a mystic. Look at me <laughs> And now, who is making a god out of me? Please don't <laughs> Talking about things that we are supposed to know, I do think there is a pressure Maybe there's always been the pressure, but I feel now that there's a pressure on people to know what their purpose is in life. There's lots of books and there's lots of films about finding our purpose. So I think that can create anxiety in some people because they don't know, they've not found that yet. So what are your views on the purpose of life and how important that is? Can, can we ever find it? <laughs> See, if you have found a purpose to life, you have not lived your life, that's what it means. If you have tasted life, it doesn't need a purpose. It's an exuberant and brief happening, brief. Only those who are finding their life to be very long need a purpose. <laughs> but life is so brief, when I say brief, not that you died young, even if you live to be hundred, but what potential intelligence and capabilities that a human being has, it's too brief. Have you noticed this on a particular day? You're very, very happy. When did that last happen, Danny? Today. <laughs> <laughs> if you're very, very happy, twenty-four hours, poof, goes off like a moment. You're a little depressed. Twenty-four hours feels like ten thousand years. Time is a relative experience. So, if your life is so long, obviously you're miserable. When it is so long, you need some great purpose, otherwise you cannot live. If you're blissed out, just to breathe and be here and it's over, people will be attending your funeral. That's how quick it is. Look at me, 
I feel like I was born day before yesterday, look at me, already <laughs> In my experience, it feels like I was born two days ago <laughs> That is so liberating though, so you, that's permission just to enjoy life No, 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 I did not say enjoy life <laughs> Okay No, 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 no. Can't enjoy life <laughs> Okay See, see, the problem is you're trying to... you're trying to cull down what I'm saying, don't cull it down Culling means death, you know. You're trying to make knowledge out of it. Let's write a book. Don't have a purpose, just live. Just eat, sleep, drink, whatever, and die one day. No, I'm not talking about enjoying life. If you're joyful, you don't have to enjoy life. You can do anything or you can do nothing. Everything is fine. But first thing is, are you joyful by your own nature? Are you peaceful, joyful, blissful by your own nature? You set that up, then you know what is life. Nobody has to tell you in a book what is life. See, what is life if you are teaching to the dead, I understand. To the living people, you're teaching what is life. That's stupid, because they are life. But right now, they are half dead. They are half dead, buried in their own memories. We call this karma. They're heaped in their own memories to such an extent, they're not life anymore, they're just information playing out. They're a software playing out, they have no choice about what they do and what they do not do. Their past experiences of life will determine how they are right now. So, don't cull it down and say, don't have a purpose, just enjoy life. That is a philosophy. Philosophies are fantastic explanations for things that you don't know a damn thing about. <laughs> I want a Sadhguru. <laughs> yeah. And are you saying that we shouldn't really read books then or make or not? Danny reads lots, I read a lot of books. Well, the joy of reading the see, language is one of the uh one of the highest levels of expression of human intelligence. So if you just enjoy the language and uh, whatever, literature and poetry, that's different. You're reading about life. When you are life, why are you reading about life? You need to pay attention to this to know what this is. You think you'll find it in a biology book, what you are? You know, maybe in school science classes, you open up a frog's heart and looked into its heart. Do you know what the frog thought about you? Did you know when you were cutting it open when it's alive? <laughs> Not a lot. <laughs> I won't tell you <laughs> <laughs> Sadhguru, what, what is your next mission? So you've, you've planted millions of trees, you're saving the soil, what is your next mission? Uh, this is not a mission for me, it's like this. On a certain day, two people were working on the street side. Somebody was driving by. They saw what they were doing was strange. One guy was digging holes and going, Another guy behind him was closing it and closing it and coming behind him. Then he backed up and came and said, hey, what are you guys doing here? They said, uh, we are actually tree planters, but I am a digger and he's the one who closes, puts the mud back. But the tree planter is on leave today. So we just digging and closing, we're doing our job. So because that guy has been missing, I started 
volunteering, that's all. Don't... don't make me into a mission of tree planting. I have no mission of tree planting. Because that guy has been missing for a long time, I thought I'll volunteer. Well, I must tell you, as part of the Safe Soil Movement, starting from uh, what we initially called as Project Green Hands, and then Rally for Rivers, and then uh, now Kaveri Calling as a focused project in a certain river basin, just through uh, our organization and Save Soil Movement as such, as a whole, has planted nearly 120 million trees till today, living trees, because this is all on private land. The people are maintaining it as timber and various other products that come from the tree. But as a part of this, Government of India has now invested the... one of the recommendations we had made for Indian rivers which are depleting seriously is one kilometer minimum of trees on both sides of the... every river in the country. So, this year, the government invested uh, some 2.4 billion dollars in this direction, which is uh, going to continue and increase the budget, we are working on that. So, how many more million trees they will plant out of this, we don't know, but they will. Thirteen river basins, based on the Kaveri calling success, thirteen river basins in India also got budgets to plant trees in the farmlands. This is all in the farmlands, this is very important. So, it is happening, but uh, that's not my mission. As I told you, that tree planter guy has been on leave for too long, so I'm just volunteering. You must volunteer with me, please. I'm getting old, you see <laughs> You're only two days old, though. <laughs> Yeah, in my experience, but the body <laughs> Body has memory. See, you are a body of memory, you understand this. You have evolutionary memory, your genetic memory, your karmic memory, conscious, unconscious, articulate, inarticulate, various types of memories is what makes your body. Body is memory. See, Danny, you probably five generations ago, how your great-great-great-grandfather looked like, you don't know but his nose is sitting on your face because your body remembers. So every cell in your body is tremendous memory. If you yield to the physiological process or to the psychological process, both these processes essentially run because of memory. If I pull out the memory card from your head, then your intellect becomes stagnant, it can't do anything without memory. So you must understand both body and mind are heaps of memory, essentially. So. To stay away from that, to be conscious and to be a living life, not a heap of memory, is the most important thing. So, two days old is, uh, in my experience, body is memory. It remembers the date of birth. <laughs> it is already calculating the date of death also. It always will, for everybody, I'm saying. Sadhguru, it sounds like the work that you're doing now, it, there's no doubt that's a, a huge legacy. Is it important for people to leave a legacy? Do you think that's something that we feel that we need to leave behind when we go, an imprint of who we were? See, those who want to leave a footprint, strong footprint on the ground, such people will never fly. Explain that a bit more. Those who are leaving footprints, will they fly? If you're flying, you don't leave any trace, but you flew, that's important <laughs> <laughs> So, are you saying that people should stop 
I shouldn't paraphrase, there'll be a philosophy and I'll get it wrong, but are you saying that we should concentrate less on trying to leave a legacy? Because I think a lot of people feel that they are doing something good for the world of their life by legacy. See, uh, if you're doing something that's relevant to the times in which you exist, first of all, we must understand the actions that you, we perform must be relevant to the times in which we exist. If you were here ten thousand years ago, what you would be doing and what you're doing today, if you're here another five hundred years later, what you will be doing are different things. This doesn't mean what they were doing was wrong and what we're doing is right. Actions must be relevant to the times in which we exist. Your relevance is more important than legacy. Sadhguru, I was telling Lisa about the Dhyanalinga and for our listeners, can you tell them a little bit about how you created that and how when somebody with an active mind walks into it, the mind just kind of goes really quiet? <laughs> how I created Dhyanalinga, which was a three lifetime purpose, you want me to tell you in four and a half minutes that we have right now? You can do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, what Dhyana means... <laughs> What dhyana means is, uh, because there's no equivalent word in English language for dhyan. Let's uh, take a more kind of uh, a loose interpretation of that would be meditative, that it makes you meditative. To make one meditative normally, there is so much of instruction, understanding, and to bring them to right level of understanding, then instruction, then initiation, there's a whole lot of process. Or the process is essentially inefficient. As I've been doing, this is forty years I've been teaching. Well, we've touched, people say we've touched over two billion people, but still six billion people are left out, all right? So that's not, I don't consider that a success because twenty percent, if you get marks in your school, did you consider yourself a success? No. So Dhyanalinga is that tool where people can become meditative without teaching, without instruction, without initiation. Simply being in that space makes you meditative. Every day, thousands of people are going through this process, but still it's not enough. We need to have many other things which we are... We are seeing how to get this launched. 2024, you will be seeing a, a movement called Conscious Planet taking off in a big way. Be a part of it, because consciousness is not one person's business. Is everybody's business because that's the only thing that's missing in humanity right now. We have intelligence, we have capabilities, and now we have much science and technology. Our understanding of the physical world has improved significantly in the last hundred years. If you want to reap the benefits of this, you must be conscious. And right now we were talking about mental health and issues that are coming out. See, essentially it's this. You can classify your mental illness into many, many ways. I was talking to some of the uh, top psychiatrists in UK, and they were telling me that there are seventy-two varieties of illness. So there are seventy-two ways in which you can go crazy, all right? That's what it means. Well, this is for an expert to classify and this, that is for their study and for treatment, whatever. But as far as you are concerned, whether you call it stress, anxiety, depression, this, that, whatever, essentially your intelligence is turned against you. Suppose your hand starts slapping you in the face, 
Obviously, you lost control over your hand, it's doing something that is not good for you. So if your mind starts torturing you, it means the same thing. Your faculties are turning against you. You can give thousand explanations to it. Essentially, your intelligence has turned against you. Why would your intelligence turn against you? Why would your hand poke your eyeballs out? Why would it do it? Unconscious, isn't it? If you were conscious, would you do that? So what is missing for all the human faculties that we have, for all the development of science and technology that we have achieved in the last few hundred years, and many other hundred years before, many thousands of years, people worked in a more rudimentary way, but all their work has added up to whatever technology we are experiencing today. With all this, if we want to live well, if we want to use all these things to our human well-being and well-being of all life, the only way you can do it is, you need more conscious human beings. So conscious planet is a way forward. One Earth, one family, one future, that's the only way it can happen. That the only way it can happen, because life here is not separated from each other. A worm, an insect, a microbial life is the foundation of your existence. If you don't include them as a part of your life, you will not live. This is what is happening. We are all becoming, you know, isolated, segregated in so many different ways. When I say segregated, I am not talking about race, religion, that. That is also happening, that's a different matter. But we are segregated from every other life. And then we are wondering what is going wrong. What is going wrong is, you are, build, you are building a building which is away from its foundations. That's not going to last. So, it's time for a conscious planet. Let's make it happen. Be a part of it. Thank you very much. Thanks, Sadhguru. Thank you. Thanks, Sadhguru. Thank you so much. <laughs> Told you. <laughs> wow. <laughs>I didn't expect to laugh quite as much as I did through that interview. That conversation is so funny. And for me, I kind of felt that out of all our guests so far, he's the one guest that is really truly telling us to do what Lobster Brain is about. And he's asking us to rewire our brains. He's kind of been playful with us in terms of some of the notions that are hardwired within us some of the stuff felt so way out for me and actually went against my ingrained beliefs. And since that conversation, I've thought quite a bit about them. And there's a couple of particular points that stuck out for me. And one was the footballers and they have a lauded life ostensibly, but they have all this stress. And then the other one about legacy, which um, we can talk about because that his take on legacy really, really blew my mind. <laughs> Yeah, I think the first thing, Lisa, is that he definitely was playing with us. And I don't think he, I don't think the idea is that he wants you to think about what he was talking. He, like his whole point is that he wants us to come out of thinking and come out of emotion and be in the actual physical presence of the here and now with attention. And I think that's his whole message. But yeah, I think the, part about the footballers was deliberately provocative 
because clearly in, in this day and age, there's a lot of stress involved in football. But his point was that at some point in their lives, all footballers experience football as joyful and a completely joyful thing to do. And somehow that has been lost. And I, th I think he's saying that, you know, you, can, you can't really get to it through the psyche or the emotions. It has to be deeper than that. And there's a way that all footballers and all people can get back into living a joyful life. I think his whole intention is to wake people up and he only had 45 minutes with us and it was a strange thing Lisa wasn't it because his team were there in the background and all of a sudden he popped up out of the ether and then 45 minutes he's gone as if like in a puff of smoke as if he was never there and yeah it was it was a strange yeah. experience but it, it, it really um it's made me be a lot more present since the conversation and even hearing it back it has a big impact on me. So what, what was your take on um, on the legacy, which I know is dear to your heart? Yeah, um, I wasn't expecting that response because we talk about legacy a huge amount with businesses that we work with and individuals and sports people. And um, like I do understand what Sadhguru is telling us is that we should try and remove attachment possibly from this work, this purpose to, to leave stuff behind. I mean, that line, if you leave footprints, you've not flown, literally blew my mind. But I think there is a difference in legacy in terms of if you want a gold statue to be built in your name, erected in your name after you've passed, compared to the fact that you might want to invest some of your time on, on this earth into helping people who need help, for example. And I see that, you know, he's creating a legacy. He's, he's using his resources to create better resources, which is for me what legacy means. Yeah, I, I think you're right, Lisa. I mean, he's planted over 120 million trees in India and he's changed the whole of the soil structure around the world. And if you go to his ashram in India, it's like a Disney world of spirituality. You know, he's created these incredible structures and buildings. And part of that intention was that so when he's not here anymore on Earth, you can go there and experience what he teaches directly. But I feel that his main point really is to push us towards paying attention to ourselves. And if you can find what he's found, this bliss within then that legacy will just create itself. And, and my sense is what he's saying is that people are paying too much attention to what they can leave behind rather than paying attention to this. Yeah, I get that. You were asking him about how to achieve this state of bliss and he mentioned inner engineering a couple of times. And just, just for you to know that inner engineering is one of the programs that he teaches and it's an ancient yogic practice that basically turns the attention inwards to know the inner self and uh, as we mentioned earlier there's two billion people that have gone through this this training so far and, and he sees that as a failure a failure because not enough people have gone through it yeah well i think he said there's another six billion isn't there waiting and his his mission is to share this with every human being because he wants every human being to live a blissful life. The, the one thing, Lisa, that I'm going to always remember from that interview is that I'm going to burn all my books 
and start to pay more attention to this being if I want to know what life is really about. How about you? I'm not going to burn my books. <laughs> I can't. I. He said you can read books if you like the words or the words make you feel good. And I think books bring so much joy. And I think when I look at your bookshelf, when you do your podcast, there's, there's stuff in there that's important. One thing that really resonated with me is when you said to him, Sagru, you have such an appetite for life. And Sadhguru said, I don't eat life. It's not an appetite. I am life. And that was a big shift for me because I would say, I have a massive appetite for life. You do. But when you shift it to that and you think, I am life, it helps you to understand that it's not something you should be pursuing. It's something that you should be being and let the things in life flow through you and not worry too much. And it's it's very, very nuanced, but it's very different being life or having an appetite for life. I've found uh, something that I'm thinking about a lot at the moment. I felt like Lisa, it was a, it was a huge honor for him to, to give us that time because he's such a huge international person. He, his time is demanded by everyone. And for him to give us that time was huge. And I feel like it's had a lasting impression on me that is, is going to, it will last for a long time. For me, what I love so much is that it was so unintimidating and I was crying laughing at times. He was so funny. And I think if you can get your message across by being playful and not intimidating people, then you've, you know, you've got something very special. Yeah. You're right, Lisa. And we, we've always spoken about Lobster Brain being about rewiring your brain. And, and there's no better example of that than Sadhguru and his teachings. Thanks for listening to this episode of Lobster Brain. We'll be back on the 22nd with Henry Winter. Henry Winter is a football journalist and he's the chief football writer for The Times. And he's been writing about football for the past 35 years. He's also written a number of books about famous footballers and football managers. In the meantime, please follow this podcast and don't forget to rate and review and share wherever you can. Thank you.